0: You're listening to KZON, on Oleander Public Radio. Part 2 Out on the floor was a shambles. I saw one snake like arm whip around the stud form of the tuna, then tightened. A streak of agony rang through the hole. Another tentacle curled about the couch of the second aristo, pinning the occupant to it. Then, couch and all were swung a hundred feet in the air to be crashed down with terrific force on the stone floor two arms seized the third at the same time two sluggies to get out of the way in time damn them i heard keston mutter, true but not all the perlites had moved fast enough at the warning shout Cowering under the seven keyboards shrinking from the metallic arms not quite long enough to reach them i could count only a score the others but what used to describe the slaughter out there i see it in nightmares too often a thunder from the speakers grew till it drowned out the agonized tricks in the great hole. On the screen's horror flared all over the world. It appeared the machines had gone mad. I saw antorcas crash as a dozen airframes plunged through the crystal towers. I saw a huge dread strip the roof off from the great playhouse, a smash of the shrouded crowd within the stones it plucked from an embankment. I saw untenanted land cars shooting wild through packed streets. Great ponderous tractors left the field and moved in ordered array on the panic-stricken cities methodically they pursued the fleeing aristos and crushed them beneath their tread, like scurrying ants i realized that the scraping of the tentacles reaching for us had ceased then that the arms had all returned to the button banks then it dawned on me that keston's master machines was directing all the destruction i was watching That the intelligence he had given it was being used to divert the machines from their regular task to conquer the world. You sure started something, Keston, I said. Yes, he gasped, white-faced. Something that I should have expected when that model machines went for me. Do you understand? I've given the machines intelligence, created a new race, and they're trying to wipe out the humans, conquer the world for themselves the possibility flashed on me when i was half mad with rage and disappointment at the callous cruelty of the aristocracy i threw that switch with the thought that it would be far better for all of us to be wiped out but now i don't know after all they are men like ourselves and it hurts to see our own race annihilated if only i can get that switch he started to push out from under the scant shelter, but an alert tentacle hissed through the air in a swift step at him, and he dodged back, helplessly. Don't be a damn fool, I snapped at him. Forget that mushy sentimentality. Even even if you save the Aristas, we are due for extinction just the same. Better that the whole human race be wiped out together. Then a thought struck me. Maybe we have a chance to get out of this ourselves. Impossible! Where could we hide from the machines? He waved a hand at the screen. Look! The glacier, man! The glacier! He started. There are no machines out there. If we can get to the ice, we are safe. But the aircraft will find us. They don't know we are there. There are no microphones or radio eyes in the waste. A rough voice came from the covering files behind us. Hey, Keston, let's get a move, you're the smart guy around here. Get us out of this mess you've started. It was Abbott. When so many better parades had perished, he was alive and whole. We got out, crawling under the keyboard till we could make a dash for the door. We emerged into a world ablaze with light of many fires and reverberating with the far-off crashing of destruction. To the right, we could see the tumbled remains of what a short hour before had been our barracks. Two digging machines were still ponderously moving about among the ruins, pounding down their heavy buckets methodically, reducing the concrete structure to a horrible dead level. Ten score prolats had been sleeping there when I left. As we rushed into the open, the machines turned and made for us, but they had not been built for speed and we easily outdistanced them. The rest of that day will always remain a dim haze to me. I can remember running and running abuts broad form always in the lead i can remember long minutes of trembling under tangled underbrush while from above sounded the brewing of an air machine searching ceaselessly for us i can remember seeing at last the tall white ramparts of the glacier then the blackness swallowed me up hands tugged at me and i knew no more the great white waste of humaki ice dazzled under the blinding sun my eyes were hurting terribly there was a great void in my stomach for two days i had not eaten keston tottering weakly at my side was in an even worse state his trembling hand could scarcely hold the primitive bone-tipped spear god knows i had difficulty enough with mine Yet tired, hungry, shivering as we were, we forced our dragging feet along, searching the interminable expanse for sign of polar bear or the wild white dogs it hunted in packs. We had to find flesh, any kind of flesh, to feed our searful stomachs or go under. Keston uttered a weak shout. I looked from behind a frozen hummock. A great white bear padded. He saw us, sniffed the air a moment, then turned contemptuously away he must have sensed our weakness almost crying in his eagerness keston raised his spear and cast it with what strength he had at the animal that meant food and warmth for our bodies the weapon described a slow arc and caught the shaggy bear flush in the shoulder but there had been no force behind the throw the sharpened bone tip stuck in the flesh quivered a bit and dropped harmlessly to the eyes Aroused, the crater reeled about, we caught a glimpse of small, vindictive eyes. Then with a roar, it made for us. Look out! I cried. Keston started to run, but I knew he couldn't match the wounded animal in speed. I threw my futile spear, but the bear shook it off as though it were a pinprick and would not be diverted from his prey. I ran after, shouting for help. Then Keston stumbled and went down in a sprawl on the rough, grey ice. The bear was almost on him, and there was nothing I could do. Then the figure of a man darted from behind a sheltering mound. It was Abbot, swathed in warm white furs, brawny of body, strong, well-fed, heavy-jawed. He swung easily his long spear, far heavier than ours, and pointed with keen barbs. He stopped short at the side of us, and his brutal features contorted in merriment. The desperate plight of my friend seemed to afford him infinite amusement nor did he make any move to help i shouted to him quick kill it before it's too late so it is abbot you turn now he sneered heavily abbot whom you thought deserving of the death bath not so long ago <laughs> no my fine friends let me see you help yourself you two who thought you were kingpins down in the folly men <laughs> weaklings that's all you are i ran blindly over the uneven ice, unarmed some crazy notion in my mind of tackling the brute with bare fist to drag him off my friend abut shouted with laughter leaning on his spear for some strange animal reason the mocking louter enraged the bear he had almost reached the motionless figure of keston when he swerved suddenly and made for abut the ghastly merriment froze on the heavy-jolted man. Like lightning, he lifted his heavy lance and drove it with a powerful arm squarely into the breast of the advancing brute. It sunk a full foot into the blueberry flesh, and while the stricken bear clawed finally at the wound and sought to push himself along toward the man, Abbot held the spear firmly as in a vice, so that the animal literally impelled itself. With a gust of blood, it sank motionlessly to the ground. Abbot plucked the spear away with a dexterous twist. Keston was feebly groping to his feet. I was torn between joy at his deliverance and rage at the inhuman callousness of Abbot. The latter grinned at us hatefully. "'You see what poor weakling creatures you are?' he jeered. "'Good for nothing but to push a lot of senseless buttons. "'Down there you were the bosses, the one to look upon me as a dirt. "'Here, on the ice.' Where it takes god to get along i am the boss i let you live on nice crops and livings simply because it tickled me to see you cring and back but i am growing weary of that sport henceforth you keep away from my camp don't let me catch you prowling around do you hear let's see how long you last on the ice and this animal is mine he prodded the carcass I kill it. I'll make the prolet skin and cut it up for me. (laughs) How they crank and obey me, abut the dull one. (laughs) On this he strode away, still laughing thunderously. I looked to Kessen in blank dismay. What was to be our fate now, but death by cold and slow starvation? three months had passed since we had escaped to the ice from the dreadful machine's score of us for a while it seemed that we had fled in vain we were not fit to cope with the raw essentials of life it was uncounted centuries since men fought nether barehanded, so we huddled together for warmth and starved even keston's keen brain was helpless in this ways of ice without tools without machines then it was that abut rose to take command he dull brought that he was amid the complexities of our civilization fairly reveled in this primitive combat with hunger and cold he was an anachronism in our midst and a throwback to our early forebears it did not take him long to fashion cunning nooses and traps to catch the few beasts that roamed the ice once he pounced upon a wolf-like crater and strangled it with bare hands he fashioned with apt fingers spears and barbs of bone curved knives from sin bones and skinned the heavy fur pelts and made them into garments no wonder the prolats in their helplessness looked at him as their leader Keston and i were thrust aside but abbott did not forget his slow wit mind harbored deadly rancour for former days when we were in command he remembered our contempt for his slow dull process for the many errors he was guilty of by a queer quick the very fact that castan had saved him from the death death on several occasions but fed the flames of his hatred perhaps that was an ancient human trait too so he set himself to twit and humiliate us. His jibes were heavy-handed and gross. He refused to let us eat at the communal mess, but forced us to wait until all were true when he tossed us a few scraps as though we were dogs. Many times I started up in hot rage, ready to match with my softened muscles against his brawn, but always he caught me in time and whispered patience. Some plan was taking shape in his mind I could see, so I stopped short and was content to bide my time. Now we were through, discarded, as a last brutal gesture. What was there to be done now? In utter silence, I looked at Keston. To my great surprise, he did not seem gaunt cast. Yes. Quite the contrary. His eyes were sparkling, once more alive with the red fire. The weariness was gone from him. There was energy. Decision stamped on his finely cut features. Now it's our time to act, he said. I've been hesitating too long. What are you talking about? Abbott forced my hand, Kesson explained. You didn't think we were going to live here in the vision of the rest of our lives? I'd rather die now than have such a future staring me in the face. No, we're going down into folly to fight the machines. I stared at him aghast. Man, you're crazy. They crush us in a minute. Maybe, he said unconcernedly. But we have no time to lose. Abbot will be back with the prolets and we'll have to clear out before then. Quick! Cut off a few chunks of meat. We'll need them. But Abbot will kill us when he finds out what had been done. And we'll starve if we don't. Which was an unanswerable argument. So with our bone knives we hacked off gobs of the still warm flesh covered with great layers of fat. Looking up from my task, I saw black figures coming down towards us from the direction of the camp. They quickened into a run even as I noticed them, the abbot and the Prolats. Quick, Keston, I cried. They're coming. Keston glanced around and started to run. I followed as fast as I could. They'll catch us, I panted. Where where can we hide? Down in the valley. But the missions will get us then. Save your breath and follow me, I know a place. We were racing along as fast as our weakened legs could carry us, toward the edge of glacier. I looked back to see Abbot. His brute face distorted with rage, gaining rapidly on us. The other pilots were being out of distance. Abbot shouted threateningly for us to stop, but that only made us redouble our efforts. I know he would kill us if he caught up with us. He had his spear and we were without ours. Stepped the terminus of the great northern glacier half into view. Far below was the broad, fertile, habitable belt, stretching as far as the eye could see. Alarm rose in my throat as I ran. It was our earth, our heritage down there, and here we are, fleeing for our lives, disposed by bits of metals and quartz machines that we had fashioned. Hovering in the air on a level with us were scout planes, vigilant guardians of the frontier. Once a prolet had become crazed by the eternal ice and cold and had ventured down the side of the glacier to reach the warm lands his thin blood hungered for, as soon as he had painfully clambered to the bottom, within the area of the televisor, a plant had swooped and crushed him, while we, leaning the edge, had witnessed the horror helplessly. Yet Keston ran on confidently. Abbott was just a little way behind, belowing exultantly. When we came to the jumping-off place, he was sure he hated us now. Keston slid from view. It was sheer suicide to go down there. I knew, yet to man where I was, meant certain death. Abbot's bear was already poised to trust. There was only one thing to do. And I did it. I threw myself over the rim, just where Keston had disappeared i landed with a thud on a narrow ledge of ice the surface was glassy smooth and i started slipping straight toward the outer edge a sheer drop a thousand feet to the valley below i strove to recover my balance but only accelerated my progress another moment and i would have plunged into the abyss but a hand reached out and grabbed me just in time it was keston hold tight and follow me he whispered urgently we have no time to lose the master machine is seeing us now in the fissure screen and will act i had an impulse to turn back but abut face was luring down at us i'll get you for this he screamed and let himself down heavily over the ledge Cassan edged his way along the treacherous trail i after him it was ticklish work a misstep and there would be nothing to break or fall i heard a siren sound then another and another i wasted a precious moment to look up a scout plane was diving for us on a terrific slant the air was black with aircraft converging on us the master machine had seen us i sensed utter malevolence in the speed of these senseless metals thrown at us by the thing my friend had created but there was no time for thought in desperate haste we inched our way along abbot had seen the peril too and lost all his truculence in the face of the greater danger he clawed after us intent only on reaching whatever safety we were heading for i could hear the zoom of the great wings when the path took a sudden turn and we catapulted headlong into a black cavern thrusting into the ice we were not an instant too soon for a giant shape swooped by our covert with a terrifying swoosh inch away from Abbott's leg as he dived after us And it was followed by a grinding crash. The machine had been directed to close to the ice and had smashed into bits. We crouched there in a moment, panting, struggling to regain our wine. Keston had regained the air of quiet power he had once possessed. Quietly, he spoke to our enemy. Listen to me, Abbot. Up there on the ice, you played the bully. Relying on your brute strength. Here, however, we're up against the machines, and your intelligence is of too low an order to compete with them. You need my brains now. If you expect to escape from them and live, you'll have to do exactly as I say. I am boss, do you understand? I expected a roar of rage at Keston's calm assertion, and quietly got in back of Abbott ready to jump him if he made a threatening move. But the big brute was a crater of abject terror staring out with the fear-haunted eyes. Quite humbly, he replied. You are right. You are the only one who can beat the machines. I will follow you in everything. Very well, then. This cave leads through a series of tunnels down through the ice to the bottom of the folly. I explored nights when you were sleeping. I looked at him in amazement. I had not known anything about his midnight wanderings. He saw my glance. I'm sorry, Marin, but I thought it wiser to say nothing of my plans, even to you, until it had mattered let us go. Outside hundreds of craft were halting across the opening, escape that way was clearly impossible. No doubt the master machine is hurrying off her high explosive to blast us out, Casen said indifferently, but we won't be here. We started down a tortoise decline, crawling on hands and knees. We had not progressed very far when we heard a thud and roar behind us, followed by a series of crashes. Just as I thought, the master machine is firing terminals into the cavern. What a high degree of intelligence that thing has! Too bad we'll have to smash it. He sighed. I fairly believe he hated to destroy this brain child of his, yet just how he was going to do it I did not know there passed hours of weary torturing stumbling, and slithering and sudden falls down always down interminably a pale glimmering showed us the way a dim shining through the icy walls at last faint with toil bleeding and torn from glass sharp splinters we reached a level chamber vaulted surprisingly with solid rock it was good to see something of the earth again something that was not that deadly all-embracing ice at the fore end lay a blinding patch. I blinked. Sunlight! I shouted joyously. Yes, Keston answered quietly. That opening leads directly into the folly on our land. Abbott roused himself from the unreasoning dread he had been in. It was the first time he had spoken. Let us get out of here. I feel as though I am in a tomb. Are you mad? Keston said sharply. The visor will pick you up once. You will not last very long. Abbott stopped suddenly. There was a plaintive, helpless nod to him. But we can't stay here forever. We starve or die of cold. Isn't there some way to get back to the top of the glacier? No, only the way we came. And that's been blocked with thermonite. Then what are we going to do? You fled us into slow death, you with your boasted brains. That remains to be seen was the calm retort. In the meantime, we are hungry. Let us eat. And the amazing man drew out of his torn flapping furs the gobs of meat he had cut from the dead bear. I had quite forgotten them. With a glad cry, I to reach into my garments and brought out my supply. Abbott's eye glinted evilly. His hand stole stealthily to the bone knife in its skin sheath. His spear had been dropped long before. None of that. Kesson said sharply, "We will all share equally, even though you have no food. But if you try to hog it all or use force, you will die as well as we. they are only enough for a meal or two, and then what will you do?" Abbot eh, saw so that he needed Kesson's brains. His eyes dropped, and he mumbled something about our misunderstanding. His gesture, we let it go at that. We had to he could have killed us both if he wished so we divided our food with painstaking fairness how we gorged in the raw red flesh and thick greasy fat food that would have disgusted us when we live and work in the central station now was ambrosia to our sharpened appetites when not the least scrap was left and we had slacked our thirst with chunks of ice off from the cavern floor i spoke what is that plan you spoke of kessen for reconquering the earth from the machines? Abbott looked up abruptly at my question, and it seems to me that a crafty smile glinted in the small pig eyes. Keston hesitated a moment before he spoke. I confess my plans have been materially impended by the sudden predicament we find ourselves in. Thanks to our good friends here, he ironically indicated Abbott. The big prolet merely grunted. However, Keston continued i'll have to make the best of circumstances without the aid of certain materials that i had expected to assemble the idea is a simple one you've noted no doubt how the terminus of the glacier opposite the central control station overhangs the brow over a thousand feet up extends out at least hundred feet beyond the base end of chapter fifteen